reading this morning is taken from uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. And in the Church Bible, it's on page 1040. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, I want to think of two types of courage that uh, exist in the world. So you have... um, kind of courage that happens in a moment where people, uh, you might respond to something. Um, uh, I don't know, it might be um, a child running into a road and you running after them might be uh, a sign of courage, an act of courage. Um, Whether you can think of an occasion in your life where you had to make a snap decision that was a bit scary, but you but you, you did it and it took some courage. And then there's another kind of courage which um, takes a long view. You know there's going to be something very, very difficult that you have to do um, that is going to take consistent and determined courage to see it all the way through. And I know many of us may be thinking of different things. Um, uh, often it struggles in our life, you know, that the, the courage that it takes to walk with people down difficult roads, the courage that it takes to accompany people in suffering, the courage that it might take to um, accompany people uh, to, towards, towards their death. That takes tremendous courage that uh, each of us might have to... Well, I think all of us, there will be moments in our life that takes uh, that kind of courage. Jesus exemplified both of these, these, these kinds of courage. Um, there's, there's lots of stories where Jesus is very courageous in the way that he responds to the religious leaders or to, to difficult situations. Um, but in this passage, it's the kind of courage uh, that is looking at the, um, the long road. Jesus, it says that Jesus resolutely sets out towards Jerusalem, knowing that um, at Jerusalem he, he will be handed over to the religious leaders and, and be crucified. He's actually just in the portion of scripture before, he's told his disciples, even it says that they, di- they didn't yet understand, that he was, he was going to have to, to die. It's this kind of courage. 
later on towards the end of this passage, you're going to be thinking about holding, holding on. And in those long walks, those long um, courageous walks, often the, the, mo- the thing that we have to do the most is if we just think, I've just got to hold on. I've just got to hold on. I've got to hold on to you, Lord. I've got to hold on to my, myself. Um, Eugene Peterson described discipleship as a long, obedient walk in the same direction. Um, I, I have people that I admire that are older than me. I admire their long, obedient walk that they've made in the same direction, especially when I compare it to myself, which often um, <laughs> feels more wobbly and wavy. Um, the people that came to my mind as uh, I was thinking about who who exemplifies this to me is someone you, people you might know, Sharon and Alistair Bavington. Uh, they lived in Girlington. Uh, Alistair was a GP until very recently. Um, and they deliberately have lived in Girlington in order to minister amongst the people, which are mainly Muslim, in the Girlington area. And a really difficult part, really difficult part of Bradford to live in and a really difficult part of the world to live in. And after talking with Sharon and Alistair, there's been a number of times in their life where they've, they've, they've been wondering whether the Lord might um, release them and they might go and be able to live somewhere else. And, uh, and, and yet, they've never felt that. They've felt that faithfulness means to stay there. And, um, you know, it's painful hearing them share because they don't have stories of incredible fruitfulness from their time. They, they believe that they might see a real change in Girlington, in that part of Bradford. And yet, as they look now, they think, well, I'm not, I'm not really sure how much uh, change has happened. And yet, I so admire them for holding on, for that faithfulness, that long, obedient walk in the same direction. And as I like to remind them, they're still quite young. <laughs> so great fruitfulness and promise still could be um, around the corner. So Luke's gospel is in two parts. Um, we have the stories before this passage that we just heard read. And then we have uh, the second half of Luke's gospel, which is the road to Jerusalem, and then what happens at Holy Week and Easter, which we'll, um, we're now in the season of Lent. So it's appropriate that during Lent, we are um, basing ourselves in the second half of Luke, which is the journey, the Lord's calling John, um, <laughs> the, second, the second half of Luke, um, as, as we journey towards Jerusalem. And this is Jesus's Long obedience in the same direction. It took great courage. I'm going to read um, the first few verses. I don't know if it, it is at all possible, Nick, to get the Bible passage on the screen. Um, but don't worry if it isn't, because I can read it to you. It's Luke 9, 51, 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. So in, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, we have this from the prophet. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, 
and I know I will not be ashamed. And, and Luke, the gospel writer, is drawing on that um, prophecy or that prophetic writing from Isaiah, which is um, uh, the servant of God so is in Isaiah. This is loads of prophecies in the second half of Isaiah are fulfilled in Jesus' ministry as God's servant. And um, when, when Luke says he set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem, it is um, like a nod or a reflection on this Bible passage in Isaiah that I will set my face like a flint, like I will, I will harden myself, I will, I will focus. Um, so some, I think something visibly changed about Jesus in this moment. His disciples recognized it. Um, Jesus means business now. And, and this is where things really kick off. Uh, and you can see that with James and John. They go to the Samaritans. If you don't know who the Samaritans are, they're like half-Jews. They are Israelites that have mixed in with the pagan culture of the north. And Jewish people hate them. And Samaritans people also hate the Jews. They've set up their own temple. They have their own separate Passover festival. Um, they worship God in, in a different way. And there's a great rivalry between the Samaritans and the Jews. Hence why we have the story, the Good Samaritan. Um, and uh, I think James and John, when they say, shall we call fire down from heaven, which is uh, Elijah does that in the Bible. So they were saying, we've got precedent for this. It's happened before in the Old Testament. <laughs> Come on, Lord. I think they're thinking, Jesus, look at, look at his face. He finally means business. This is where we're going to see the business end of the Messiah. Fire, brimstone, judgment, victory, overthrow the Romans, Samaritans, get in your place. Um, and uh, yet they've confused Jesus' resoluteness. He's not, he's not turned angry or hard He's resolutely focused on the demonstration of love that will occur at the cross. He's resolutely um, set like a stone uh, towards, towards love. He's, his, his love is, is hardening even, becoming, becoming um, stronger. Uh, I wonder, um, James and John, where you, you have true believers of any religion or ideology or sect, or even political stuff as well, the ones who are the truest believers, the most zealous, um, the ones who sacrifice the most for the cause, are often the ones that um, tell everyone else, can't you do a bit better? Can't you give a bit more? And, and you, you see this in, in various different religions. Um, and I think uh, how... how what might be the measure of becoming more zealous in the faith of Jesus? It is to becoming more loving, more accepting, uh, softer, particularly um, on the weak and on the, uh, particularly the, the weak in faith. Uh, it, it may well be, uh, so well, certainly I think was a bit racist probably of James and John in their impulse towards wanting to destroy these Samaritans. But I think also it probably came from a sense of pride. We are the right ones and, and they are the wrong ones. And uh, God, I want, I want you to prove, we want Jesus, we want to, you to prove forever that we are the right ones and, and these are the wrong ones. But as 
we, uh, as we grow in the love of Jesus, as we carry on on that long obedience in the same direction, uh, one of the signs that we are on that road is we are becoming more loving, more accepting, um, more softer in our hearts, particularly towards those who are, are weak or, or those are more accepting of those who are different as well. That is, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. And um, Jesus, this is the fruits that uh, Jesus is looking for. He, he says, it doesn't actually say it in our, our Bible. It's one of those, you know, you have those asterisks at the bottom of the page sometimes. And it says in some manuscripts, it reads this. Well, in some manuscripts, Jesus says to James and John, you don't know what spirit you're of. Uh, I haven't come to destroy life, but to save life. I haven't come to destroy life, but to save life. You don't know what spirit you're of. And uh, isn't that true so sadly of so many Christians? You don't, they don't know um, what spirit they're of. They're the ones that were caused to divide and create in-groups and out-groups. Um, I, I do this sometimes myself. When I say, if I'm introducing myself, I'm a vicar, and they're like, oh, yes, and they're talking about Christianity. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm, well, I'm not like those. I'm not like those Christians that you might have heard. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a better one. I'm, like, I'm loving and non-judgmental, etc. Um, and that is how, you don't know what spirit you're of. Um, I'm going to carry on reading verse 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes of dens and birds of nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Um, I find it so interesting that Jesus treats each person as an individual. To one, he says, I'm not sure you're ready. And to another, he says, you should follow me. There's not a blanket or paint by numbers, one size fits all to discipleship to Jesus. And there's people who have said, um, Jesus is very bad at maths because Jesus seems to think that one is bigger than a hundred. Jesus seems, um, and, and this is true in the gospels, when he meets people, he gives them their full, his full attention. He's loving, he's talking to them as if they're the only one in the room. Isn't it wonderful when you have friends or people like that who they give you the, such dignity of they're just, they're talking to you as if you're the only person in the world. And Jesus was that kind of person, I think, in the greatest way that anyone else w- would have been. Um, and it, he, he does that to each of us. He He says, um, I love you and I am interested in you. I'm interested in the details and the particulars of your life. Um, And I want to lead you in paths of righteousness um, and and besides still waters. And uh, of course that is true for 
everyone, for each of us, but I think part of the impulse of Jesus and part of what we see in this passage is he, he says it directly to each of us. So the first one, he says, you know, you're, you're not ready. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure you've thought this through. He said, I'm, I'm homeless. Do you want to be homeless? No, notice he's, he's not penniless. He just doesn't have any, he's moving around. This is Jesus saying, are you aware that how much this is going to disrupt your life if you choose to follow me? And I was thinking how opposite that is to the way that we often do evangelism. We often like try and get people in, yeah, uh, around, we say that God loves you, it's amazing truth of the gospel. And, we, and then once they're in, we're like, and by the way, Everything has to change, and because he's loved you, you have to love him completely and give your whole life to him. Uh, but Jesus has that up up front. He's saying, like, if you if you want to follow me, this is gonna this is gonna take everything. This is gonna take your your whole life. And we don't hear what that man does, but he says to another man, "Follow me." He says, "Lord, let me go first bury my father." <laughs> it's one of the harshest, got to be one of the harshest things Jesus has ever said. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you follow me. And I thought, for until I was thinking about this passage for this morning, that this man's dad had just died, and he's saying, "Can I please dig a grave and put him in it?" But he's not. I think I think what commentators think that he's saying is this man's dad is still alive. He's old, but he's still alive, and he's saying. First, can you let me honor my father by um, waiting with him into his old age and until he dies? And then once that's happened, once I've done my duty as a son, then I will be free to, to follow you, Jesus. And um, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a right. That Jesus isn't, it's not, it's not right and wrong. It's saying that some things you have to choose between right and right, good and good. But what? Jesus is saying is perhaps your loves are not in the right order. Um, that, uh, and and, and I'll, I'll get on to, to, to more of that in a moment. But um, then uh, I'll follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. No one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is, is uh, fit for service, is, is of use to God in his kingdom. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this uh, about this passage um, oh, young man, when you are thinking of leaving the world, be afraid of these farewells. They have been the ruin of many hopeful people. They have been almost persuaded. They had been almost persuaded to follow Jesus, but they have gone to their old companions to give them the last kiss, the last shake of the hand, and we have not seen anything more of them. Um, I certainly, well, I think it's still true for me today, but I certainly remember this as a young person thinking, um, <laughs> I want to follow Jesus, but if I'm going to follow Jesus, I probably need to stop chasing girls or whatever I was doing as a 17-year-old, 16-year-old. And I would kind of put it, put it off, like, well, Lord, I'll, I'll start really following you in six months' time. <laughs> um, or like... After my exams, <laughs> and I, I, I remember th- thinking like this, and um, I can, I can, and I think by the grace of God, I came through that. Even though I still have parts of that in my life now, for sure. Um, but I have friends that 
were on the edge, kind of what we might call lukewarm, um, not fully committed to following Jesus because they have certain things in their life that they're unwilling to let go and be obedient to God in. And, uh, and sadly, some of those friends aren't, they're not, they're not Christians anymore. Uh, sadly, actually, some members of my family, that would be, that would be true, true of them. Um, I think I used to read this passage with some of the harshest words of Jesus in the gospel and as if Jesus' message to these people was, come on, can you try a bit harder? <laughs> Let's go. And now I, I wonder actually um, whether there is uh, compassion in Jesus looking at these people thinking, oh, they, have, they haven't actually got it yet. They, their lives haven't come under my mercy quite yet. Jesus tells a story in Matthew's gospel. Um, a, a wealthy man who is enjoying all that he has finds in a field a pearl of great price, worth more than anything else that he owns, so special. And immediately, immediately, he goes away and sells everything in order that he could buy that field and uh, the pearl would be his. And Jesus says, that is what the kingdom of God is like for someone who discovers it. So it's as if Jesus was saying, if you really knew who I was and you really understood my message, you really understood my love for you and, and mercy and how wonderful this life is that I'm offering, you wouldn't be saying, oh, but let me just do this first. You would be Skipping down the rock, I can't believe it. <laughs> I, get, I get to follow Jesus. Um, it's a very famous Scottish thinker, uh, scientist, who's also a preacher called Thomas Chalmers. And he preached this sermon called The Expulsive Power of a Great Affection. The Expulsive Power of a Great Affection. And he used the analogy of uh, a, a, a beaker, um, which had air in it, and he was saying, "How, how could we? How can we get this air out of the beaker? Because um, we know, don't we, that nature abhors a vacuum. If anything is empty, it just gets filled with something." And he says, "Well, we could we could suck it out with a with a pump, but actually, that that will never quite be able to get all of the air out." And, he, and he's saying. Such is the human heart, that the human heart is never empty. It has, uh, we love, we always love something. And in this passage, we have stories of someone who, we ima I imagine someone who loves uh, their things or their house. And Jesus says, you're not, you're not ready to live a life with me on the road. And another person who, he loves his parents, not a wrong kind of love, is it? Uh, and another um, person who loves who isn't quite ready to say goodbye to the life that he loves he's not quite ready to do that um and uh, uh thomas chalmers was saying yeah we might use a pump and that would be like willpower you know we're gonna we're gonna try i'm gonna try to love god more i'm gonna try to give him my whole life and he says but that but that doesn't that doesn't really work I don't know if anyone tried to do that just as a a pump can't take away all of the air out of that beaker uh uh, it, it, in the same way, willpower alone can't make us think, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus on this long obedience in the same direction. It's not, it's not going to be enough. 
but he talked about the expulsive power of a great affection. He says, if we fill that beaker with water, then all of the air is displaced out of the beaker because the beaker is now full of water. And he says it's the same in the Christian life. Until your heart has been captured by the love of God, by his beauty and by his majesty, by his light, until you've seen that pearl of great price, you think, I would sell everything to own this, to have to possess the kingdom, to, uh, to know that I am his beloved. Just the most amazing news. Until that has happened, then it's very difficult to displace these other loves. And I think that's a, a really wonderful analogy and picture for us, is that uh, Jesus actually looked at these three people with great compassion and mercy because their lives hadn't yet been touched by this expulsive power of a great affection. They hadn't yet experienced the great affection of God. And um, I suppose I I want to close and and to respond in worship, but uh, have have, have you and have I, have we, are we experiencing the great power, the expulsive power of this great affection? Because until we do, until until we are beholding um, God in that way, it will be very, very difficult for us to be courageous for a long time. It will be very, very difficult for us to have that long obedience in the same direction. Uh, I certainly want for myself to be like that person who finds the pearl and thinks, well, of course I want, of course I want to follow Jesus because what else in the world compares? And I mean, I must confess, you know, as, as a vicar, as a leader, I don't always feel like that. But um, I certainly desire to. It's my deepest desire to desire <laughs> to um, have him like that, to follow him like that. Um, so Jesus knew this when he resolutely sets towards Jerusalem. He had, he himself had been captured by the expulsive power of this great affection. Uh, he, he, he didn't have to try very hard to let these other things go because he was so focused on where he wanted to go. And that's true. i just share a funny analogy that happened to me on my bike yesterday. Uh, you know, if you, when you're riding a bike, if, you are, um, if, you, you're, if there's a pothole and you stare at the pothole, you usually hit the pothole. <laughs> but if the trick is, is to look beyond or to the left or the right of the pothole, and then you avoid it. And I, I, was, I was riding my bike, and my handlebars <laughs> became loose. The Allen key, the Allen had, it had loosened. And at first, it was fine. It was just moving up and down. And then I was um, coming down Appley Bridge Hill towards Sainsbury's, and the handlebars started moving around. And um, it became very, very difficult to uh, avoid things. And I realized it's very, very dangerous and I need to stop because I thought, well, what happened? The next thing is that the handlebars come off. <laughs> and then I'm really stuffed. <laughs> um, and uh, I suppose what, I, what I'm um, saying within that is when you have your eyes uh, on where you want to, you need to have our eyes on where we want to go. 
And that is our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned at shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Um, all that lovely, lovely song, fix your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Um, we're going to respond in worship now. Um, let, let's stand together and we'll have a moment in prayer before we, uh, let's stand and um, invite the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture um, Lord, I pray as we worship now, as we respond in worship, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would um, move on us in great affection. And for any of us who are struggling on that long obedience in the same direction, uh, because of other loves in our lives, other distractions that I know in my life so well, that um, uh, as we focus on you, and as we set our hearts and love on you, it would be that those things are just pushed out of us and we, turn, we can turn away from them more easily, not because of our willpower, but because of how wonderful it is to have our eyes fixed on you. I, I pray that you move amongst us now by your Holy Spirit.